the incomparable. Number 441, January 2019. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and it's one of those episodes It's kind of not a draft, but it kind of is a draft. This is a suggestion from a listener. Listener Ian, thank you for your suggestion, which is, why don't we have the panelists suggest books or book series that they would like to turn into television series? Now, since we didn't write the books, unless somebody... Unless Dan really nominates his own book, which could totally happen. Uh, I don't want to... No spoilers. No spoilers. It could happen. It could happen. Well, let's just wait for it. See if it happens. Uh, otherwise, we won't really profit for this. It's really an excuse to talk about books that we really like and also put it in the context of wouldn't this be a cool TV show? Because quite frankly... There have been so many books on this podcast over the years who ha- that we have talked about as a book and that they've turned into a TV series, The Magicians, The Expanse. The Rook is coming, actually, as a TV series, too. There are a bunch of others that have turned to movies or TV shows. Uh, and I feel like we have read a lot of books and we have opinions about what might make a good TV show. So we're going to explore that tonight. We're going to take a couple rounds. People are going to give pitches for what they'd like to see as a TV show based on a book or series of books that they like uh, or maybe hate. Maybe they hate the books but think it'll make a great TV show. It could happen. <laughs> Let me introduce our panelists. And I don't want to judge. I don't want to prejudge anything that you're feeling. You could you could be like, I hate this book. And boy, when it flops as a TV series, that'll be the best. Um, <laughs> let me introduce my panelists in the order in which they will choose as chosen randomly by random.org. Lisa Schmeiser will pick first. Hello, Lisa. Hi there. How are you? Congratulations, I guess, on being the first pick. You can't... Um, you know, any, you can pick anything, literally anything. So get ready to pick anything. I'm so excited to not have my first choice sniped. Yes, oh that's my good. Gosh. That is a good thing. It is a good thing. Now, now, unless you pick it, Monty will be able to pick it. Monty Ashley, hello. Hello. I'll be doing a Total Lion Super Guide, Macworld oh, Super Guides, book 30. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> I can't wait to see the residuals roll in. That's a real page turner. I would, I would recommend, Monty, that you consider Take Control of Photos. Hmm. A currently available electronic book. Um, picking maybe, maybe Moises Chuyang can pick that one. Hello, Moises. Jason, I, I have to ask about some ground rules. Uh, first oh, of boy. all, uh, <laughs> I, I, it's okay that I'm specifically choosing the Cliff's Notes or Spark Notes versions of books to be adapted to Facebook Watch. Yes, sure. <laughs> okay, good. All right, good, good. <laughs> I, now, in, in, in all seriousness, though, Jason, um, are, are, are uh, graphic novels, comic books, are they considered books for the purpose of this draft? Oh, I was going to say no. Okay. Uh, <laughs> things that have already been adapted from books to television, are those eligible, Jason? I'm going to say no, unless it's been a very long time, and you'll have to okay. just try it, run it by me, and see what happens. You never know what the okay. judge will say. Is it okay if they've been adapted for feature films, but not television? Possibly. You're going to just have okay. to run it by me and see. It's All possible. right. I'm just, I'm, it's I'm, I'm only giving, giving sort of clues as to where I may or may not be like going, Monty, or maybe I'm just trolling in general. Monty and Moises are dub, double teaming me here. This is very disturbing. <laughs> Mine are all very normal this time out. I have one pick that I, I hope Monty really likes. Okay. Uh, next up will be Alyssa Frankie. Hello. Hi, I misunderstood the rules and I'm massively underprepared with only one pick. Oh no. So I'm very oh, frantically no. trying to think of more books. The good news is there are about 87 of us on this show. Uh, Kathy Campbell will pick after Alyssa. Hello, Kathy. Uh, hello. I'm very, very excited. I am glad. Dan Morin will then have to pick. So he might be sniped by Moises. It's possible. 
It seems likely, but I'm ahead of David, so right? Like that's right. Why yeah. the process of elimination? Random.org likes side. David J. Lore the least. Hello. And that's okay because I don't think anybody's gonna pick my two main. That's no. a shocker right. coming so from I'm, David Lore. And I will pick last because I am your host and ever gracious and also sometimes let the rules go completely sideways. So Lisa, <laughs> why don't you get us started? We're gonna do a couple rounds. And Lisa, why don't you get us started with your first book to TV pitch? All right. My first book to TV pitch is a little discussed 1988 eco thriller by Neil Stephenson called Zodiac. Mm. And (laughs) I don't know if anyone else has the pleasure of reading and or rereading this book on the regular. Um, I adore it. And to make a long story short, the book itself is about a professional jerk store named Sangamon Taylor, who <laughs> <laughs> who works as what amounts to the sole left brain employee in a um, office full of professional environmental activist do-gooders. So over the course of the book, he discovers that big bad biotech companies are dumping bioengineered organisms into the Boston Harbor to clean up previous toxic wastes. Everything, of course, goes sideways. There are Indian Arrows, New Hampshire Survivalists, a Vietnamese restaurant, um, a couple ex-Navy frog divers, and um, a heavy metal concert featuring a weird satanic band. It all comes together in a big Neil Stephenson-like glorious explosion. Lisa, you say this may sound like an HBO limited series. No, because <laughs> because here's the thing. The planet doesn't get cleaned up over the course of one caper. And so the organization that this guy works for would be a great starting point. You could do like a great 1980s comedy thriller type thing, almost like an A-team, where every season there is a new... um there's a new company to go after. There are new protests and actions. There's new feats of daring do. There are, of course, Zodiacs. Um, imagine Sangamon Taylor flying through the air, A-team style. <laughs> there's there's a colorful cast of supporting characters. And um, it would be fresh and relevant today because we have all gotten a lot of very bad news about the planet this year. And so if you had a fictionalized account of ways that you know people can either take the fight into their own hands or root for people who do, and you can sprinkle actionable stuff through plot lines and talk about recycling this and that and the other, um, placing contemporary issues into a nostalgic series or an ironic nostalgic series like this would be if it's set in the 1980s, it'd be a great way to, to uh, have it relate to audiences. And again, this book is deeply funny. And mm-hmm. um, I I cannot recommend it highly enough. I think it's six series in a movie, six seasons in a movie, easily. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I... I like this. I thought about, I actually thought about putting this on my list. Um, it is maybe my favorite Neil Stevenson book, which is wow. kind of the outrageous, heart. given no, how what he's famous for. So actually, I, I think like the DNA of Neil Stephenson is all over this book, though, because he valorizes practical skill. Like the people that Sangamon Taylor loves or respect, <laughs> love is a big word, um, respects the most are people who have learned how to make themselves useful in the world. And he really values intellectual curiosity. And this book is actually a really handy primer on how to move through the world and become somebody who is confident in um mastering a new body of knowledge or mastering a new set of skills so that you meet you can meet the challenges that life puts before you and again it's the most humanist and humane sangamon has friends and people who put up with him and it shows the importance of social context and sangamon is actually remarkably accepting of people who aren't his tribe as it were and incredibly ironic in some ways and also there is a 90 year old librarian named esmeralda who is basically the hero of the book so (laughs) 
Yep. So it's my, it's my favorite because, and again, Neil Stephenson, so it's got explosions and guns, but um, that stuff kind of serves the story. Whereas I get the feeling, um, especially in any Neil Stephenson book with someone named Shafto in it, um, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> it's a much smaller. It's a much yeah, and it's a much smaller scale. It's a much mm-hmm. smaller scale full Stevenson experience. I think it's like a great training wheel Stevenson to make people read, and I think it'd make a great TV series. Zodiac, Neil Stephenson. There we go, Monty. It's your turn. What's your pitch? Stephen Bruce's Vlad Taltos books are great. Uh, they start with Jerig, oh, and they're essentially low fantasy, starring a human assassin in a world mostly populated by elves, and he deals with politics and mobsters and all sorts of complications. I'm not pitching that one. <laughs> oh, wow. Expertly done. <laughs> I'm pitching the prequel series he did, which is set hundreds of years before the Jerig series. Uh, there's three books, and they're all basically pastiches of the three musketeers so the first book is called the phoenix guards instead of musketeers and the second book is called 500 years after many people don't know there's a sequel to three musketeers called 20 years after but Mm -hmm. these are longer lived Mm -hmm. people then the third book which is pointlessly long is called the viscount of adrelanca and that corresponds with the three-part Vicomte de Bragelon, which is the third book in the Three Musketeers series. Nobody's read it, except for the last part of that book, which is The Man in the Iron Mask. For the record, um, I've read it, and I love it, and I cried. But I read it, too. It's really good. It's but, so good. <laughs> come on. You know it's not like Three Musketeers no. or Man in the Iron Mask level. Oh, it's really not, but it's really good. The These books by Stephen Bruce, which are called the Kavarin Romances, or the, the uh, Phoenix Guards books, are very, very swashbuckly and ridiculously verbose, which is something we would kind of get rid of in the transition to a TV series. Um, They're written in character by a character we never see named Parfi, who will just go on and on and on. There are dialogues that take five pages that read like an Abbott and Costello routine where one person (laughs) says, I want to go in there. You want to go in there? Yes, I want to go in there. You say you want to go in there? I do say I want to go in there. You want to go in there, you say? I've been asking for nothing else for half an hour. And eventually he goes in. Uh, some people don't <laughs> like that. I think it's great. And in a TV show, you could do it like a crosstalk thing, and it would be super, super fun. There's four main characters. There's Kavrin, Tazendra, Eric, spelled A-E-R-I-C-H, because it's fantasy, and Pell. I don't have casting for them, but... I think if this show got made, people would get into the different houses because you know how there's like those four Hogwarts houses everybody likes? There's 13 houses and each of them has their own personalities. And also the muscle of the group, Tazendra, is a woman. So you could cast a big, tough, mean woman and she'd be awesome. So fantasy, what's the action? Is it is it like fighting things or is it like heists and things or what, what magic things? What, what What's in this? Uh, mostly... It's Three Musketeers, so swashbuckling, swashbuckling. fighting evil wizards or an evil duke hmm. or a milady with a line for her name. I love a good evil duke. Yeah, that's yeah. The, they're the worst, the evil dukes. You Tackling gotta fight them. and swirling mm-hmm. their cognac in their glass as they ponder their enemies' lists. It's kind of a low magic world, so you wouldn't need a whole lot of CGI, which I think is useful. But they're making all the other fantasy classic series. fantasies. Let's get Stephen Bruce some money is what I'm saying. All right. 
Great, great, great. Um, Moises, it's your turn. Well, Jason, when we did the TV reboot pitch draft, I uh, I kind of uh, took took the the bearing of somebody you know pitching a, a TV network executive, and I wonder if Mister Sm- Mister Snell is is available in the front office. Uh, sure, I can I can I can get him. I can get him. He's ready, Mister Snell. Uh, look, thanks great so much to for see taking you. the time. It's great. I'm glad. What do you have for me? I loved your last pitches. What do you have for me now? <laughs> I brought you some water, sir. Mr. Snell, I brought you a cigar. Uh, thanks for the bottle of water. I've just had seven right bottles there. of water I have, already I'm today. Germ, I'm germ-averse, so just put it there, and I'll have it incinerated <laughs> later. Go ahead. Mr. Snell, uh, he, here's the thing. You know, you got Amazon uh, optioning all kinds of J.R.R. Tolkien stuff that probably nobody is really asking for, but they think somebody will be depending on what they're doing. Fantasy is a big thing. Everybody's trying to come up with their version of Game of Thrones. And as the head of the Disney Plus streaming network, um, I feel like there is uh, there's something that, that you must take advantage of, something from the Disney uh, archives, if you will, something that maybe didn't go over so well the first time around. It, it, uh, it came during a, a weird time uh, in the feature division. Um, but that I think if you take a look at this book series as a live-action, YA-focused fantasy series, Series, it could really, really, really be Disney Plus's YA appropriate Game of Thrones without all of the adult stuff, and that is Lloyd Alexander's Chronicles of Predane. Mm-hmm. Yes. Excellent choice. This is very rude of me. I should have introduced my uh, my producing partner, Mr. Dan Moore, and Dan uh, <laughs> Dan Dan is actually the brains of the operation, and hey. I feel like I would probably I would probably be be remiss if I didn't turn to him and and uh, his deep and abiding love of these books. Uh, wait, look, wait, it's wait, just wait. such an honor is to meet you, sir. Is this the Dan Moore? You mean the author of the Caledonian game? But that's one of my favorite books. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. He just rushed in, but I couldn't stop him. I feel like we've really crossed the streams here. <laughs> sorry, let me pitch you my Ghostbusters shit. No. <laughs> my partner, Mr. Tuyan, is absolutely right. This series is fantastic and has all of the elements that you want from your fantasy series, including a dude with antlers on his head. I mean, that basically sells itself. There's a, there, there's a lot of opportunity in those books uh, to uh, not decompress decompress things for the sake of decompressing them, but you could very easily get a solid five, ten episode seasons out of those five books um, without going too crazily overboard and inventing characters whole cloth and that sort of a thing and just letting letting the, the, the narrative breathe. Um, it's the kind of thing that you wouldn't even necessarily go to 45 minute or hour long episodes. You could honestly do 10 half hours. Um, it's, it's something that I, I, I think it's, it's the sort of thing that I would love to see Disney tackle with the, um, with the, the landscape of their own streaming network much more than I, I don't know who's asking for these live action feature remakes. Um, it's not me. Um, but there's there's so much stuff that they could do, uh, and and this is the most natural thing that that kind of rehabilitates something that that is already part of their canon, even though they pretend like it doesn't exist. Uh, I don't think you've said the words "the Black Cauldron" yet. <laughs> You don't oh. speak of it. Well, that's that's because Mr. Snell's in charge of the Disney Plus network, and it's 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 in the list of rules on the wall. Oh, oh, I see it now. I'm sorry. Don't speak yes. of the. Don't ever mention the Black Cauldron. Whatever you do, I, I there there the, the one the one little Black Cauldron uh, related ephemera that I would mention is that uh, you should absolutely look up uh, on YouTube. I want to say it's Defunct Land did something mm-hmm. about this terrifying Black Cauldron themed uh, walk around ride. 
ride at at uh, Tokyo Disneyland. It's it is the most so terrifying, terrifying Disney uh, theme park attraction they have ever created. Nope. Yeah. I like. I am amazed at how many uh, we've had two two fantasy series. I, it's hot. It's hot. It's big. I love it because the Game of Thrones is big. The the Lord of the Rings was big, and it might be big again. Who knows? And so more fantasy. You know what? You know us. You know me. As a person who buys TV shows, I just whatever yeah. there's a lot of, I want to, I want to buy more of it. So I, I I had a guy in here just the other day who's pitched me on this Cavern romances. It's kind of like swashbuckling. That was kind of interesting. And then this is also interesting. So thank you, boy says thank you. I appreciate your pitch. Whew. Wow, that character I didn't expect to come back. Anyway, Alyssa, it's your turn now. You don't have to pitch the random Disney executive. You can just tell us what you would like to choose next. Well, if that random Disney executive is looking for an alternative to Game of Thrones that is going to be infinitely better, oh I do have a pitch for that executive. <laughs> <laughs> because what's really the problem with Game of Thrones is not that it's kid-appropriate. It's the fact that it needs, like, more and better women characters. So if you're looking for a high fantasy series centered on women characters, clearly what you need to do is we finally need to do a television adaptation of Tamara Pierce's Tortal series of books. Yes. Yes. I have been wanting this to be a TV show forever. It's so much so that I've had this book pitch in some form of my mind for the last five years. So <laughs> I jumped on this podcast opportunity because, oh God, I can finally say it out loud <laughs> this, is, this is why Alyssa is Finally, here everyone the words can be spoken aloud <laughs> so I have this whole idea for how the series would go because if you're not familiar with it um, the main Tortal series is three series of four books and then the last two books are just you know a, a duo of books and it spans an incredible time period when the Tortal series first starts sort of the main character Alana um, is a child uh, and by the very end, the series is focusing on her young adult daughter. So, like, massive time range for you to be working with. Probably the most controversial part of this book pitch, though, is that I would suggest really breaking the entire fun- foundations of the series and mixing up the order of the books so that you way you could actually mix up the characters more that you see throughout the series um, and they can start interacting with each other a lot earlier so it wouldn't be quite so like okay we finished this book series and we're moving on to the next one it would just sort of all happen together um and then uh, the thing that I kind of really want is to change. There's the big climactic battle in the second series of books that is like on the scale of gods battling each other. And you just need to move that to the end. Like that's your series finale. That's your climax. Everything else is like, you know, just, you know, nation states fighting each other, which is cool and everything, uh, but not gods battling each other. But the real reason I love this series of books so much is that every single book series, the main protagonist is a woman. And these women are knights, they are mages, they are ordinary people, and they are all fantastic, well-developed characters that do some amazing things and go the full range of like, you know, wonderful and awkward experiences. Like it's everything from dealing from puberty and first crushes to like how you learn to fight with swords and bows and arrows and magic against people. And it would be crazy. Give it Game of Thrones budget and just let it roll. And it would be like the best TV series ever. The thing that I love the most about the potential for something like that hitting big and any other female centric fantasy uh, hitting big is that part of uh, momentarily going back to my Perdane pick, 
I, I love the idea of something like that, that had it been adapted in the 80s would be very boy centric. It would be very boy fantasy. I love the idea of of things in adaptation, seeing more of a focus on female characters like Ilan Wee in, in Pridane and uh, fleshing out characters that got short shrift. Uh, all we need is something like Alyssa's pick to to show the right path that, yes, it does work. Yes, it can happen. Yes, it's possible. The thing with the Tortal series is that it actually did start um, in the late 80s, early 90s. Like, this is not just within the past, you know, five, ten years of fantasy. Like, this has been going on for a long time. And, you know, not to put on my feminist cap, which is basically never not, off of my yeah, head at this off. point, whenever <laughs> I'm on an incomparable podcast. But, like, the reason this does not get you know, attention and Game of Thrones does is really that this has been female centric the entire time. So people often pigeonhole it as, you know, this is the fantasy series for girls. Mm-hmm. But really, it's the fantasy series that everybody can find really awesome things in. And I think there's lots of fantastic and very hot male characters in this. So there's something for everybody to enjoy, really. All right, Alyssa, I have to ask as somebody who has not heard of this series before, where if I wanted to read a book in this series where should i start you should start with song of the lioness that's the first quartet um it is going to be a little dated and a little slow so you just kind of have to bear with it but that's the first one and that sets the sort of groundwork for the entire series you can speed through song of the lioness in a couple of days um at most. Um, then there's the Immortal series, um, which takes place a few years after that and is one of my favorites in the entire series. Then there's another time jump and you go into Protector of the Small. And then there's another time jump and you go to Trickster's Choice and Trickster's Queen. So those are the four main series of books that I would include in this television show. There's other books set in the Tortal universe, but very far back in the past, like after she finished these four is when she started going back and exploring previous time periods. I love that in keeping with fantasy tradition, Alyssa's feminist hat is self-washing. It doesn't have to be removed. It just yep. cleans itself. <laughs> it does. takes care of itself. It's a magic art. As it should be. It's magic. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by Pingdom, the company who makes website performance monitoring super easy. Everybody loves a fast website, a functional website, one that actually loads when you want to go there. Pingdom helps keep your favorite sites online. Netflix, Amazon, Spotify, Twitter, BuzzFeed, Slack. They're all companies who trust Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring. Building a website, keeping it running can be very complicated, but you can monitor any site transaction with Pingdom. That means stuff like user registrations or logins or checkouts and a whole lot more. Pingdom cares about your users having the smoothest site experience possible. And if disaster strikes, you'll be the first to know. Computers will betray you. And you may not know your site may be up, but not functioning because a key part of it may be non-functional. Pingdom can let you know that the computers are out to get you because they are I'm telling you, this is not a secret message. It's an open message. The computers are out to get you. All Pingdom needs to get started is the URL of that particular computer that may betray you on your website, and they take care of the rest. That's it. Go to pingdom.com slash Snell right now. You'll get a 14-day free trial, no credit card required. And when you sign up, use code Snell at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom for their support of The Incomparable. Now's the time. Get your fantasy series out, I suppose. Kathy Campbell, do you have a fantasy series for me or something else? <laughs> well, I'm debating on whether to put out the fantasy series right now or save that do it, for do the it, next do round. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Keep the momentum, momentum, momentum. All right, we're going... Uh, 
and I was going to make the joke that Monty did about talking about a great series of books, a trilogy, and then pitching the prequel. So I'm still going to do that. <laughs> yes. The series of the Dragon Riders of Pern, mm. yes. the main trilogy, <laughs> is great, but oh, really... Oh, are you going to do the Dawn, Dragon's Dawn? Yes, <gasps> I want oh, Dragon's That's... Dawn. Oh my gosh. It's a great combination of sci-fi and fantasy all mixed together. Make it so whoever you want, because these books... It has insanely great villains. Yes, it's so... I, like... As I was making my list and trying to put into words how much I love this series, I really was just like, everyone knows Dragon Riders of Pern. And if you don't, you should know them. Even just read the Wikipedia article and like be set. Um, but the whole idea of getting dragons has always been something super exciting. And so in my mind, I would always dream about getting on a spaceship and going to a, a planet that has these dragons and i want to see that exist in real life and ron moore ron moore tried to do it and it fell apart yes they did try to do it that's just heartbreaking ron moore failing to get to make it is why he made outlander i know which if this uh podcast had happened before 2014 outlander would have been my pick and if this Mm -hmm. podcast had happened i don't know eight months ago uh wheel of time would have been my pick but since both of those either are existing in the future or now exist, I had to go with my third love. You could totally end the first season with the first Threadfall. Right? Right? Like, <laughs> I've been... Season yes. two is them just freaking the heck out as they keep running out of options. And yep. season three, they finally get the dragons going. Oh, my gosh. And by that right? point, they'll have enough money for the CGI. Ah, oh, it'll be great. <laughs> yep. Plus, plus you get the, to work in the, the, the fun time travel aspects later on, too, <laughs> yes. depending on how far you want to mm-hmm. go. Yeah, mm-hmm. so many different ways you could go with this, and almost mm-hmm. all of them would be right, except for apparently what the studio made the changes for to where more was just like, mm, nope, peace out. I'm not changing Pern the way that this is being changed. So mm-hmm. good job, more hey, Dan, it's your turn. You know what I don't have for you, too, Jason, is a fantasy series. Uh. <laughs> What I do have for you, however, is a science fiction series to pitch. Tell me more. Tell me more. I'm excited. mm -hmm. Well, The Expanse obviously has a huge following. Uh, and it, you know, obviously, Amazon picking it up shows that it really has a, a devoted crowd that's following it, including Jeff Bezos. So I'm thinking we pitch to him another huge, uh, expansive, if you'll pardon the term, science fiction series that covers multiple planets, all sorts of interesting characters and intrigue, and really just has so much source material that you could probably spend a decade easily on it. But you, there's some flexibility in picking and choosing as well. And I think you know where this is going, mm-hmm. because why hasn't anybody made a TV series of the Vorkosigan saga yet? Yep, that was on my. Uh, that was one of my mm-hmm. backups. Although I should have known that it would not get past yep. the first round. <laughs> Taking that off my list. Well, all right. So I mean, you know, this this series spans around thirty years or so of books. I think there's like seventeen novels at this point, as well as a huge smattering of short stories and novellas. Uh, there are a lot of different options with how you could go with this. That's but what I was going to say. Is I actually wrote down a very specific version of a Vorkosigan based mm, TV mm. show because I think there are a bunch of different ways you could go if you were if you were uh, handed uh, the Vorkosigan TV series and had to choose what it was going to be about, what would you make it about? 
I think my temptation would be to start with the Warrior's Apprentice and really focus on Miles' story because Miles is my favorite character in, in all of fictiondom. So I, I, but, but I imagine there is a very strong pitch to be made for the Cordelia yeah, that was, uh, Naismith. And yeah. that was going to be my pitch was basically Bariar, the TV series, which is predates uh, Miles being born and is about this, this, uh, sort of second contact where a, a planet has been lost for a long time and now they've been reconnected with galactic civilization and there's lots of political intrigue because I think that would be a great series. But I agree, you know, Miles obviously would be a great series too. It's it's like this. Why hasn't this been made into one series, Dan? Why hasn't this been made into many series? We, sure, I mean, there's a, there's a huge universe that you can cover here, and it really covers every like it's genre hopping, right? So it gets into that like fun. You've got like space adventure, sort of a swashbuckly thing. You've got intrigue and spy jinx mm-hmm. later on. You've got uh, romance and sort of like broad comedy yep. uh which is pretty rare you've got like drama as well like really like sort of pathos um and i think that there's just a huge variation in terms of what you could bring to screen here and there's some ability to pick and choose but what i think is the most compelling part of it is that really these characters develop over time it really works best in a serial format like television rather than films because you see the growth in these characters as they progress i could easily see the warrior's apprentice just like spanning a full season of TV show uh, of TV episodes like covering miles from his failure to get into the Imperial Academy all the way up through his accidentally founding a mercenary fleet uh, <laughs> and frankly it would be hilarious and just in- incredibly fun to watch uh, I think the biggest challenge you probably have in this area is casting someone to play as miles because not only do you have to have someone who is incredibly personable and dynamic um, but there are I-, I would say you'd have to stick to the truth of the character which is that he is a he is a very small person who has incredibly fragile bones and is basically physically handicapped throughout his life uh, which is a makes it even more of a compelling story and I know a lot of people earlier on you know 10 years ago you probably would have said Peter Dinklage like perfect character for this <laughs> oh, I role. love him in the Game I of Thrones Dan can we get him? Yeah. 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 No, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry but we've just signed the rock so that's <laughs> no, no no um, he's fragile on the inside but yeah I think uh, you know <laughs> certainly I think what would be great would be to find Find some. There are certainly unknown actors who would fit to this uh, this role. Probably trying to get their break and finding a hard time, and it would be great to see somebody else of that you know uh, in that category succeed in the way that Peter Dinklage sort of became this huge household name with Game of Thrones. Like, surely there is someone else out there who could use that break because Miles as a character starts in his like you know late teens, and by the end of the series or the current state of the series, he's up into his forties. I don't know if anyone wants to play the role for twenty years, but you know, there's a lot of range in there, a lot of different challenges to portray uh and so i didn't think too much about casting but i will say if you could pick like i was trying to think about like someone to play cordelia because she did come to mind uh i actually think julianne moore would be a really good choice as cordelia mm-hmm. so and not to mention she can totally anchor a series so even if you started off with her in a more major role and then needed like to have her like in a recurring role for later seasons you know there's a lot to to work there well i'm gonna break the bank and get um vigo mortensen as errol for, for kozigan too oh mm-hmm. oh that's actually that's spot on that's really good <laughs> and errol for he's like a space duke 
Uh, not to yeah, be confused exactly. with an evil duke. Oh, Viggo, Viggo Mortensen would be really good. He's got the gravitas for that role. All right, Dan, that's great. Uh, I will now not be able to pick my Bar- please, Barriera please series. Please green light that, Jason, okay. already. All right. All right, I like what you did there. I like what you did there. Uh, David, what do you have off of your giant shelf of all adaptable items? <laughs> uh, I've mentioned her books on the, on the show before. Uh, the books of Craig Rice... She was the first mystery novelist on the cover of Time. She wrote what she called Detective Farce. And her books are what the Thin Man movies, well, what the good Thin Man movies are, would, would be like first in print. They're, they're much more like that than the actual Dashiell Hammett. Um, you're, you, you've got a lawyer named John J. Malone and his friends who are a socialite couple, Jake and Helene Justice, spelled J-U-S-T-U-S, because spelling it like justice would be too too much and they get into ridiculous ridiculous murder mysteries and they drink all the time and these books are the 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 plotting is so much more complex than the thin man and and movies like that Uh, but they're funny they're funny and they're really clever plots uh there there's a pair of books in the series The, the first one is called the wrong murder where a another wealthy socialite bets the lawyer that she can she can kill someone and get away with it. So suddenly someone in their group of friends winds up dead. They start to solve the murder. And of course, he's fixated on, well, she did it. I have to prove that she did it. And of course, she didn't do it. And the immediate next novel is called The Right Murder, where she does and she gets away with one. And how that all works out is really, really smart. Uh, there's another one called The Lucky Stiff, where a woman is on death row. She's about to be executed. And at the very last second, a call comes in. She's pardoned because new evidence has come up. She may have been framed. And she blackmails the warden and the governor into saying that she actually did die. And then she goes and haunts all the suspects and falls in love with our lawyer hero. And again, it's it's an insane plot going on. And I just think these would be wonderful. You know, it, it, it would hit a certain level of nostalgia. You, you could update it. I wouldn't want to. Uh, I think it would be great. Honestly, I think the BBC would enjoy it. You know, it's something a little bit different from their usual period stuff because it's set in Chicago and it would be a little bit more, uh, fun, I think. And, and, uh, in, in Britain, they did that wonderful Powers Booth Philip Marlowe series. So they're not averse to American detectives. So I would just love to do this. There's a wealth of short stories. Uh, there was a really eh, radio adaptation that that cut off everything except for the lawyer. All of the all of the times people have tried to adapt it, they they totally change it around. And he's a tough guy lawyer. And no, that's not right. It's and they're never funny. Um, so so I want to do this funny funny detective series. We haven't really had one of those in a long time. Sounds good to me. I have uh, I have purchased the wrong murder. I will read that. It's it's a lot of fun. My turn. Uh, I've waited. I've waited to the end here. Here it is. Um, Sherry Priest has a series of books called The Clockwork Century, which are steampunk. Ah. I am not big into steampunk, but I love this series. Uh, it's steampunk with zombies. 
there is a mysterious kind of gas that that, that is uh, released from the city of Seattle when they dig. There's a big, a giant like drill machine that is going to go to the to Alaska for the for the uh, silver rush. But it it punctures a cavern and releases this horrible gas that turns people into zombies. It is uh, it is the 18 I think 80s and the Civil War is continued on. So it's an alternate timeline. There are uh, airships everywhere because the, there have to be zeppelins. And yes indeed i am pitching a clockwork century series where the main character is probably captain cly of the nama darling that is an airship yes it is a balloon uh, with our air pirates and things like that um and the the series is is uh five books and a bunch of novellas and i think there's a sixth book that that is kind of tangentially related to it as well um and there's an overarching storyline about this gas and the zombies, and it turns in, it can be distilled into a drug. And uh, there are zombies in other places. So you know, season season one can be about the the air pirates, but also about the city of Seattle, where they're trying to figure out like what's going on. There are people who are living in tunnels underneath the uh, the gas covered zombie fill city of Seattle. Um, book two, you know, you start to there's a book two is about a train heist. Uh, so you get to to work in the train heist plot. Uh, book three, the air pirates go to New Orleans where there are zombies out in the uh, in the bayou. And there's some voodoo zombie action going on there. Uh, season four, you know, you go back to Seattle where there's a little cryptozoology. You got a Bigfoot kind of thing. And is he a zombie Bigfoot or not? A lot of questions there. And book five, uh, you got a kind of climactic moment where you're in Washington, D.C. And are we going to do something about the fact that this menace threatens all of humanity this um this zombie gas menace and only the only people who could save the day are president grant and former president lincoln who is still alive and well um and also the man who invented the first computer in 1880 it's great it's a great series it's a lot of fun um it mixes genres and there are zeppelins what more do you want and there are like sky hijinks (laughs) and battles and air pirates and all that great stuff i think it would be a really great series it is fantasy with a little twist so all those people who want the next great fantasy series i'd be like what about fantasy where there are blimps and it's an alternate uh past uh in the uh, late 1880s but with uh computers and zeppelins so uh i think clockwork century is rich for adaptation and i hope somebody someday realizes it too so sherry priest's clockwork century that's my pitch we will do one more round of pitches and then we will say goodbye so who's up first lisa Lisa, what is your second pitch for us? I'd like to introduce you all to the small town of Pine Cove, California. It's on California's central coast. It has been through some stuff. Uh, for example, when a local uh, nuclear reactor awoke a prehistoric sea beast, the beast lumbered ashore, issued a pheromone that made everyone in the town uncontrollably amorous and uh, <laughs> prompt. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah. and um, <clears throat> And, 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 and prompted um, the overturn of a marijuana operation, the rehabilitation of a former B-movie action star named Molly Mushan, who also happens to have dissociative personality disorder, and um, may or may not have been sidelined by a former demon infestation, which had also, again, uh, dealt with some some shady drug stuff in the hills. Anyway, Pine Cove is, is a delightful and zany place. Um, 
we'll skip over the Santa zombie uprising uh, and get back to that when we get to season four. <laughs> but, but it's all part of Christopher Moore's uh, oeuvre. He's written approximately 12 vaguely interconnected novels, uh, starting with Practical Demon Keeping, skipping to Coyote Blue... Uh, which is about somebody who's trying to outrun uh, bad luck, and it also includes a Native American trickster god. Uh, skips up to, uh, there's a policeman who did work in Pine Cove until things got weird, so he moved to San Francisco to work there, and that's when he fell into a vampire story in Bloodsucking Fiends. <laughs> <laughs> in the 1995 novel Bloodsucking Fiends, a love story. And the way I'd pitch my TV series is it's Pine Cove, and it's basically a comic fantasy soap opera of sorts, where people just kind of weave in and out of these plots, and you uh, <clears throat> move through the Moore's universe. So you might have one season that bops out to Hawaii, where the descendants of Amelia Earhart have been living in an underwater sea bubble and helping conduct cetacean research. <laughs> and you're tied there. <laughs> you're t- but that ties back to Pine Cove because um, there's a young man named Preston who has moved to Hawaii and desperately tried to become Rastafarian and failed. Who then has to come back to Pine Cove in a little bit of a in a little bit of shame and embarrassment. Um, there is again the zombie uprising. You can bop up the coast to San Francisco with the detective who's like, "I'm leaving Pine Cove. It's because it's too weird," and who promptly ends up dealing with uh, a vampire. Uh, an army of Gap employees, the night crew at the safe, <laughs> the night crew at the Safeway by um, uh, down at the marina, and um, the mayor of San Francisco plus his dog crew, and there are also several tie-in novels to that which deal with merchants of death, i.e., people who are charged with picking up people's souls and collecting them, and they also happen to be living in San Francisco just up the street for the vampires. Christopher Moore's books are so stupidly funny. Oh God, and- yes. And the fantasy is used basically as a vehicle to explore big universal themes, like what it means to have to try to rise to an occasion when you feel crazy overmatched and how much it means to finally make an authentic connection with somebody when you've kind of drifted through your life telling yourself you didn't really care to do that or what it means to find a sense of purpose or what it means to have that sense of purpose knock sideways. And I think with something like Pine Cove, you kind of bring people in with, you know, the lust lizard of Melancholy Cove, who uh, <laughs> who masquerades as an RV during the day <laughs> and has an affair with Molly at night. Um, yes. And, mm-hmm. and then you move on out. And, and like I said, there's going to be a Christmas special when, of course, Santa is... Uh, Santa is raised from the dead by the very by by the very stupidest angel who thinks he's granting someone a holiday wish and doesn't realize it's all going to end in a massacre and siege at the church. Uh, so, <laughs> so like I said, there are twelve there are twelve novels. Um, Moore started writing the Moore got the first one published in 1992. The most recent one of the interconnected novels was Secondhand Souls in 2015. It's a wealth of information, and like I said, I think like a sprawling, easygoing. Um, this is just what goes on in people's lives type of thing. Uh, perhaps centered around the poor Detective Rivera, who like just keeps catapulting from one deeply weird situation to the next. Um, <laughs> I, I think something like that, where it's just a fun hang. You know, I just, I've read Bloodsucking Fiends like three or four times. Uh, because again, it just comes back to this really specific time in San Francisco and these different intersecting groups of weirdos. Cause there's a group of, um, night stalking clerks at the Marina Safeway who are called the animals and they provide a pivotal plot point. Um, there's 
some really keenly drawn observations of San Francisco, especially when the vampire goes hunting in the Tenderloin. Um, the new vampire, not the old one. There's a, a, there's a big arc. What does it mean when you try to move to a city and make a living for yourself? Um, what does it mean to finally find a place that you think you belong in? And the sequels uh, show that there's no happily ever after. <laughs> All right. Pine Cove coming mm-hmm. to a surprising streaming network near you sometime. Uh, from the mind of Lisa Schmeiser. All right, Monty Ashley, what do you have? Um, I'm throwing out all my notes. Uh-oh. I had... <laughs> Yay! Oh, no. This worries me. I had some perfectly normal picks. Uh, oh, you promised. Lies. You promised. Well, I'm going with a good pick, too. But okay. I'm just saying, I think the reason we're getting so many fantasy series is because all the classic science fiction series have mostly been turned into TV shows by now. And when I was a kid, I read only fantasy and science fiction. So I, was, I looked at my bookshelves and I was like, ah, Foundation, that would be a good... Oh, oh they yeah. are, right, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's how I came up with the list I have, which I am now throwing out so I can talk about how great a series based on Emma Bull's book, War for the Oaks, would be. Okay. This is suspiciously similar to my first pick because both Emma yeah. Bull and Stephen Bruce were writing in Minneapolis at the same time and even <laughs> collaborated on a book. But War for the Oaks is basically a story of a rock band in a world with fairies in it. You've got pukas, you've got Sealy Court, Unsealy Court. Um, this is what urban fantasy was before urban fantasy came to mean paranormal romance. And I admit that there is a paranormal <laughs> romance in this book, but it's really more about the atmosphere of Minneapolis and starting a rock band even though a couple of the people in the rock band happen to be fairies of different sorts. And I think it would be a great TV series. I think you can uh, have a rock band in a TV series. Okay, great. Cool. I have not heard of this either. Oh, it's such a good book. War for the Oaks by Emma Bull. Easily one of my favorite books of all time. All right. I like that because you can also have uh, music. You can uh, set it in the 80s even and and have them play cool uh, cover songs like they do in the books. Cool. All right. War for the Oaks. Great. It's on my list. I, I'm buying, while we're recording this, a little behind the scenes, I'm just buying a lot of books on Amazon right now. My Kindle is going to explode by the time I get out of here. Uh, Moises, what is what is your second choice? Uh, Jason, I'm not going to ask you to, to take the guise of your, your fan favorite character, uh, which I, I feel like is going to go into the halls of incomparable history oh as boy. one of the great incomparable uh, characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, feel like, I feel like since David and Monty uh, did not go Agent of Chaos and choose the novelization of something, I have to choose the novelization of something. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's not the novelization of a movie. It's not the novelization of a cartoon series. It's the novelization... Of a book! What? Of a game. Of a game. Mm. Oh, oh, tell me more. Oh. Uh, going, going back to the, to the early stroke mid-90s, uh, there was a very, very popular game that I, I played as a middle schooler. Um, not to date myself, uh, but uh, <clears throat> in those halcyon days, there was a game that in uh, rather conservative North Texas would, uh, would have the, uh, I guess you would say, the more religious uh, <clears throat> kids in school look down on you and say you were, you were playing the devil's game, and that game was magic the gathering nice <laughs> never heard of it <clears throat> well i'm going to educate you uh i'm, I'm going to magic explain you monty uh, oh great <laughs> no 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 <laughs> that, that's the last thing i would ever do um the thing that I love about the Magic the Gathering novelizations is that early on, they were uh, a matter of, of spinning out lore based on the world of Magic the Gathering. And 
<clears throat> as things progressed and they started creating more of a, 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 a I guess you would say a thicker storyline between the expansions of the game, you got things like uh, what's considered now the Weatherlight Saga, which is made up of multiple cycles of novels um, that, that follow a, um, a uh, basically an airship that can travel between dimensional planes, uh, which is a great kind of an airship to have. Um, uh-huh. and it, it has a bunch of characters that go from, from one cycle to the next and so on. But beyond that most meaty chunk of magic, the gathering novelizations, uh, there are other cycles, there are other sort stories, um, you know, d- depending on how these things were set up. Um, I have a feeling that, uh, that Wizards of the Coast has control of all of the IP for all of the different books that they've put out. But some of the earlier ones are actually some of the more, um, I guess you would say interesting to me for the purpose of now of, of adaptation or, or blending into this world. Uh, there three of the first four books they put out were part of what's, uh, I guess affectionately referred to as the green, the green sleeves, uh, cycle. Uh, which follows a young woman with magic uh, casting potential and her uh, meathead, um, well-intentioned, you know, good burly man, older brother um, that I just devoured uh, and absolutely loved. Uh, they were, they were, they were, uh, they were a style of storytelling that I liked from already reading fantasy fiction. And it also happened to include, uh, one of my favorite intellectual properties at the time. Uh, the beauty of magic, the gathering itself as a world, as a, landscape to tell stories on is you can do a main series and you can have spinoff series. It is something that that lends itself to the kind of expansive storytelling that they're talking about doing with Star Trek on CBS All Access now, where they do side story miniseries that are just a few episodes long. You can do the same kind of thing with Magic the Gathering. Um, it It is the big, huge fantasy property that is uh, still active, and there are people that absolutely love so many of these franchise characters that they've developed over these last many years that that it has existed. Um, and uh, it's something that I I feel like sometime in the next few years we we are going to see some sort of a deal struck to to adapt it specifically for television series, uh, not not for features. Uh, I I don't think that adapting it for for feature films would make sense. Uh, I, I feel like it'd be a waste of of potential for the franchise. If Battleship had done better, there would have been a magic movie as they would have rushed to get all the other Hasbro properties onto screens. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right, Hasbro. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'm going to uh, plead no contest and just move on. I'm not going to judge whether that's a book or not. And I'm going to move. Well, what, what is a card deck but a series of pages of paper? Um, Sequential art. And something like four dozen books, <laughs> yeah, okay. Jason. They're real books. Oh, they really right. exist. Okay. Okay. So are you picking all of Magic the Gathering or is there a particular... All of it. The whole all the right. whole okay. Magic the Gathering novelization okay. canon. It is, it, is, it is the kind of thing that a writer's room could just tuck into like a okay. big juicy steak. Right. Star Trek novel still on the board. All right. Alyssa, do you have a second pick? <laughs> it took me a while, but I did come up with my second pick. Um, and I think kind of what inspired it is there are so many The Jungle Book adaptations out there right now but really the only adaptation that i really want to see in like maybe a limited series run would be neil gaiman's the graveyard book mm-hmm. um which is a really really wonderful delightful book um and it basically 
it reimagines the Jungle Book as uh, a baby gets adopted um, by the ghosts of a graveyard after his family is murdered. And instead of, you know, a boy being raised in the jungle, it's a boy being raised in a graveyard. Um, and there are witches and ghosts and a vampire in the place of Bagheera the panther. Um, and it's it's a really kind of interesting, fun, delightful story. Um, and what a lot of people don't know is because we've been so given so many like the Jungle Book movie adaptations is the Jungle Book is actually a series of short stories. So there's a lot of room to sort of adapt the Graveyard Book into a series of short television episodes um, as the uh, boy grows up and meets, you know, all of the different ghosts and all of the different supernatural creatures that he comes across, especially because the ghosts in the graveyard, um, it's a graveyard um, in England. And so there are ghosts, you know, from the Roman era onwards, and there's, there would be space to include even older ghosts in this story. And so you could go through a lot of different, like, time periods with this. You could go through a lot of supernatural elements. And please don't judge me for saying this. It would be very similar to Doctor Who <laughs> in that you could get a lot of different I, I, you know what? I worked it in somewhere. You could get a lot of different time periods referenced and mentioned, but also go into like more supernatural elements of interacting with witches and vampires. And, you know, you're adapting it. You're making it bigger. You could throw in werewolves or whatever you'd like to do. Um, so I think, you know, just tell Netflix, you know, the, the, the new like Mowgli adaptation by Circus didn't work out so great. But if you want a Jungle Book adaptation that is going to be delightful and supernatural, and wonderful and weird and without all of the racism of Rudyard Kipling, then this is the adaptation <laughs> that you really want to go for here. It's a great idea. I love that book. Uh, and also when you mentioned Doctor Who, somewhere out there, Erica Ensign just nodded and was like, yep, yeah, you, <laughs> you gotta do it. <laughs> Kathy, what's your second pitch? There's no real fantasy element here. I don't have a it's science fine. fiction element or magic. I, none, none of that uh, was in the premise, right? Just book a book. Is it a book or a game of book. cards that got adapted <laughs> into books? It's Pinnacle, the series. Um, this is a story of an epic love story that spans many, many decades. Uh, the main character is mistress of a prince uh, who later becomes his wife and their illegitimate children become legitimized because of the Pope and that therein is the entire reign of like every royal member of the English throne since then. Um, I'm talking about Catherine Swineford and John of Gaunt, uh, specifically Catherine by Anya Seton, who is, uh, the book is why I am named Catherine. So I'm very person like connected to this. Wow. In fact, in 2016, I even contacted the publisher to find out about the rights of the book, which they are actually owned by 20th Century Fox. So, Fox, if you're listening, make this happen. I think it could be an epic series. Uh, I'm really visual visualizing it in the sense of, like, rain um, on the CW, very beautiful costumes, it's modern like music. Rain on the uh, Sorry, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this 
the love story here is so special and we could add in the actual historical uh, information that has been learned through previous like actual uh, biographies because the book that was written in 1954, um, obviously they didn't have access to the wealth of knowledge that we have now. Um, and so we could fix kind of some of the historical inaccuracies in the novel. Um, but it's just, I want to see that happen. All right, Dan, um, the Caledonian Gambit is still on the board. <laughs> What's your I could not bring myself to do it. That's, uh, all right. So what is probably among the most popular genres of television shows out there? Superheroes. Uh, Superheroes, true, true. <laughs> Uh, things in Chicago I was thinking, produced by Dick Wolf. <laughs> uh, that is on the Family Feud board. Laws Chicago, and the orders. Genre. The book. Uh, you know, Jason, you were actually pretty close. Procedurals. Crime procedurals, oh. right? 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 But what's better than that is, of course, a crime procedural mixed with magic. <gasps> Ooh. Uh, so I am going to pick another of my favorite book series, Ben Aronovich's uh. Rivers of London series, uh, mm. which is about uh, Peter Grant, a police constable in the Metropolitan Police, who meets a wizard who also works for the Metropolitan Police, and uh, a number of other mysterious creatures, including a uh, maniacal spirit of some sort that seems to be killing people in London. Uh, this is a fantastic series that uh, among the, the things I really like about it are not only that it does have this crime procedural element because Peter is a police constable and he is uh, then becomes an apprentice wizard, but also has... Uh, a lot of humor and lightheartedness to go with it. It's not quite as uh, dark and sinister as some other series, but it does have an edge to it. Uh, it's also full of a lot of pop culture references because yeah, Peter's a young, a young, young guy, young nerd in uh, in mm-hmm. modern day London, and of course he has consumed all sorts of pop culture. Um, there are a lot of sort of uh, the plots of the books are um, each kind of mostly standalone in their own way but there is an overarching story going on behind uh behind all of it that deals with this sort of evil faceless wizard that they're trying to track down it's a lot of fun uh it would make a great uh series on british television i think they had debated doing it at one point but as far as i know i, I was looking recently yeah, it was announced I read the most recent and then one. never made it never happened and it's been years and it was like five or six years ago now that it was announced uh so probably not happening i guess yep. but someone out there owns the rights oh i was checking uh, up on would- you but i'm gonna allow it because it seems to have not happened it's development hell i'm sure so uh it is a lot it, the series is great um, lots of fun stuff in there. Among my favorite uh, aspects of it is that uh, technology and magic do not play well together. So if you use your magic around, say, your phone, your phone basically more or less disintegrates. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of extra precautions that have to be taken and that does foul up things more often than not. And you also have this sort of interesting uh, magical creatures, including the, uh, I think calls them the genius loci, which are the spirits of places, especially rivers, hence the the title Rivers of London. Um, and yeah, I mean, they're up to like six or seven. Yeah, it's a lot of books. Now. I realized I only, I think I've only read the first two, so I'm going to have to get back to that. Oh man, they're, good. they're, they're good. <laughs> they're really they're good. They're very, very good. Yeah. So I, I, that's a lot of fun. I would love to see that adapted to a, uh, a British TV series of some sort. You know where, where, uh, Ben Aronovich got his, uh, real start? 
uh, as a, a well-known writer, Dan? Uh, it was, wasn't it in games? Did he write games? Uh, I was thinking of Doctor Who, actually. Oh, you did <laughs> yeah. get started Doctor Who. Sorry, that was just shameless pandering to Alyssa <laughs> yes, there. another reference. It was, <laughs> I was thinking of Doctor Who, it was which Doctor is who. everybody's internal monologue. Uh, it is everyone, <laughs> it is the internal monologue of the incomparable. All right. Yeah, that's a great series. Uh, really good. We we did an episode where we talked about urban fantasy set in London, and there was lots of it, and that was one There's of the series of that we talked that about. Was, and, and that was the one of the many urban fantasy in London's that I was thinking about that I actually picked here. Yeah. I had several other my there are list. There are many. You know, Good Omens would be... No, they're doing that. Mm, can't that, talk about mm, that one. Right out. Uh, David, what's your choice? Well, my next video game is Tapper. It's kind of going to be oh. like Cheers, but with really bad music. How many novels about Tapper were written, <laughs> David? No, it's it's no surprise. I like Michael Chabon. I love his yep. work. I love Cavalier and Clay, which has been adapted for the stage. They keep trying to adapt it into a movie or a TV show. Still hasn't happened. I would like to do his Yiddish Policeman's Union. Yeah, that's the, yeah. That's the logical TV series for him. Absolutely. Right? right? Because, I mean, Cavalier and Clay is a mini series, if it's anything. But this, this is a procedural set in an alternate history where we don't have an Israel. We don't have a state of Israel. And America has set aside land in Alaska. And you have culture clash. You have procedural. You have a different, a different culture and a more, perhaps a more intense look at a culture than we've seen on television before. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the reverse northern exposure is what you're saying. It, it is. It is. And there's and there is a weird supernatural element in that book too that is fascinating. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's culture and and supernatural and uh, alt history all wrapped together. And and it is absolutely a, would be a great setting for a TV show. There's no doubt and, about it. I mean, really great. I think there there are a few books. There are a few books on my long list here that you know you open them up and within a few pages you're like i'm you know i can picture it i can i can hear the music i can see how i would shoot it i i would see you know all these things this is one of those books this was just almost mm-hmm. instantaneously i was like i want to see this hey it's 2019 jason here with a pedantry update for those who are sending in emails and tweets about the fact that the yiddish policeman's union has already been reported to be in development from CBS Studios with Michael Chabon and his wife, Ailette Waldman. Uh, We recorded this episode in December of 2018 when that hadn't happened yet. So I guess David Lohr wins the contest of whose show would be turned into a TV show first because Michael Chabon and his wife are going to apparently adapt the Yiddish Policeman's Union for CBS Studios, and the project will be taken out shortly to premium cable and streaming networks, according to Deadline.com. Congratulations, David. I will wrap up our uh, our our two rounds, and then we'll just let everybody kind of like quickly list all the other things <laughs> that they were thinking of but couldn't get to. <laughs> I am going to pick the Arcadia Project series of books by Michelle mm-hmm. Baker. Uh, this starts yeah. with Borderline. Oh. This is fairy noir, and we're going to lean in hard to the noir detective <laughs> part of it. Borderline, there's a story arc in the three books that she's written that gets into a lot of different things, but I'm going to start with an adaptation of Borderline, let the story play out maybe a little longer than it does in the book so that we get to know Millie, our protagonist, who has borderline personality disorder and is a multiple amputee and is essentially put in the position of being kind of a noir detective, figuring out there's a missing person 
but it's not a person, it's a fairy, because it turns out that the fairy realm is connected to our world and that a lot of creativity, especially in Hollywood, but not just in Hollywood, is because people are paired with their uh, fairy counterparts. Um, and then over the long haul of the series, we learn more about what the Arcadia Project really represents. That's Millie's employer, the truth about how the fairy realm connects with ours, um, and the larger story about the source of magic and whether uh, what we get out of this deal we've made with the fairy realm could possibly worth be worth the uh, the morale the morality breaking price of it because it turns out that guess what this amazing source of power is actually uh, corrosive and awful and what do you do about that once you are excited that you've got that power a uh, lot of fun great lead character a lot of great side characters and I like the idea of doing that kind of you know detective investigating but it's all about like the seedy underbelly of Hollywood and also the fairy realm. That is a, it's a great, great series of books. And I think it would make an awesome, uh, urban fantasy. I suppose it is series, uh, in the bright light of Los Angeles. So that, that I want to see it. I'm ready for it. Um, okay. One last trip, trip around very quickly. If you've got uh, a couple of titles for other adaptations you'd like to see, now's the time to throw them out there. Lisa. I was going to avoid suggesting dystopia because I feel like we're kind of overdosing on that a little bit in pop culture. And I also feel like dystopia is <laughs> and a really real culture. Easy, well, I feel like dystopia is a really easy way out narratively speaking, because you'd be like, nah, we're doomed anyway. Let's just make nihilist statements. However, um, I do want to say that I think Ben Winters last policeman. Series oh, yeah. would, yes. Would oh, yes. make a great TV show, especially since you could kind of stretch out the dramatic tension by inserting new adventures in. Um, the premise behind The Last Policeman is that the Earth has approximately eight months left before a comet is going to hit it and obliterate uh, most life as we know it. The series itself has one of the best endings I've ever mm. seen, um, especially, again, for dystopia. And it's surprisingly hopeful. It has it has a surprising message about grace and or, or grace under pressure. Mm. My secondary pick is Guy Caffriel K's uh, fantasy <laughs> novel Tagana, which is about a group of young disenfranchised people. Um, you might call them terrorists because um, wealthy and more powerful countries have invaded their country, taken it over, and literally stripped it of its name and culture um, through the use of magic. And so what these terrorists want to do is help um, use surrounding neighbor states to overthrow the occupiers and re and reclaim their cultural heritage. So it could be a little bit of high fantasy with some thinky thinky stuff about um, what what statehood means and what you do when you finally accomplish what you meant to accomplish and you're still alive and there are now messes to clean up. Those are my two. All right, uh, Monty, what do you uh, what do you have? Uh, I have engaged in the classic pastime of fantasy casting classic fantasy series uh, for. Michael Moorcock, I want to Elric of Melda Benet to be played yeah. by Ezra Miller, because I think he looks oh, weird perfect. and like an elf. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for Fritz Leiber's Fafford and the Grey Mouser, I would cast Tom Holland as Grey Mouser, because he's small and agile. And the guy who plays Tormund Giantsbane as Fafford. He's only six feet tall, but that's taller than Tom Holland, and at least he's a big red-bearded dude. He'd be a good barbarian. He already is. All right. Fantasy casting as pitch. I like it. 
Moises. I only had one. Uh, I had one. I had one that uh, that was uh, that was not uh, grabbed by somebody else, and it uh, it was an animated feature back in the very early '80s. I would readapt it as the old style of kind of three night TV miniseries, forty five minutes or an hour or so, um, and it it takes place when the last eagle flies over the last crumbling fountain and the last lion roars at the last dusty fountain in the shadow of the forest. Though she may be old and worn, they will stare unbelieving at the last unicorn. Um, it's a, it's a wonderful fantasy book, uh, that, uh, I, you know, I've, I've met Peter Beagle. I like Peter Beagle. Uh, I like the animated film. Uh, I think that adapting it for live action, I, I'd like it better as, as, uh, something with a little bit more room to breathe than, uh, than a live action feature film. All right. Alyssa, do you have any other notions or are you completely done uh i managed to pull one more out which i have no idea how to make into a full series but um the dealing with dragons series by patricia reed is smart funny clever and delightful and i have no idea how to adapt it so i'm gonna bring it in my bring out my dad round excellent that's the way to play it too it's like (laughs) tell me more i can't (laughs) we'll just move on i got nothing for you move on to the next person i'll just fill in the blanks kathy no further questions what do you have all right Two remakes, Redwall uh, and then the Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys, I think both uh, should be made new and better. Uh, And then three other options, Encyclopedia Brown. Mm. Uh, We have The Selection by Kira Cass and The Lunar Chronicles by Marissa Meyer. All right. Uh, Dan, what about you? Uh, I've got Mike Carey's Felix Caster series would make a great uh, urban fantasy procedural about an exorcist. I thought uh, I thought that was where you were going when you picked Rivers of London. I thought you were going I for Felix did. Caster. I almost did. I was yeah. undecided to the very last moment. <laughs> um, uh, my, one of my favorite YA series, The Dark is Rising, which we will not talk about the terrible, terrible feature film that was made, but it could make a super creepy, like six part BBC adaptation. Uh, Jasper Ford's Thursday Next series. I have no idea how you would make that into a TV mm. show, but I think it would be <laughs> awesome and delightful. Uh, Scott Lynch's Lies of Locke Lamora, which would be yeah. a fun fantasy series. Hey, a fantasy hey. series. Uh, also potentially unfilmable, and believe me, they've tried Stephen King's The Dark Tower. It really would have to be a TV <laughs> show because clearly movies, eh, mm-hmm. not so much, but keep Idris Elba. Keep Idris well, Elba as the gunslinger. Apparently Idris Elba is, is supposed to be attached I know, to the TV I know. version of it that's supposed to still but be happening. I still don't believe it's happening. I won't believe it until I actually see it. It's hard kind of Kind of like the, uh, the um, uh, Deadwood it's movie. the Deadwood movie, yeah. Yes, exactly. yeah. No, that one's supposedly being, I don't know. And to round it all out, uh, an adaptation of Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology starring Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston because it would yes. be awesome. <laughs> all yes. right. You can have all the Hemsworths in there. All the Hemsworths. There are many. <laughs> yes. Even Larry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> David, uh, a short version of your long list. The Golem and the Ginny. Because why not? Det- um, they, they, they're detectives and they fight crime. Exactly. I mean, that is an adaptation. Sure. Um, the Lady Astronaut novels by Mary Robinette Kowal. Yeah. Uh, Carl Hyacin. Julian May. How come no one has done Julian May? Uh, I want a whole podcast dedicated to her. That's why. Right? Um, We're saving her. Something called the Bayern Agenda. I think it's part of a series of books. I don't yeah. know. Uh, it's okay. Uh, the Travis McGee books, which have no one has been able to do these right. They've tried a movie. They tried a pilot. Sam Elliott on a like a catamaran that didn't work so that's why it didn't become a show 
uh, Robertson Davies uh, Deptford trilogy, I think would make a great miniseries. Um, the Last Castle about the the uh, mansion Biltmore in Asheville, North Carolina. I think that would be the closest thing to an American Downton Abbey we could get. The Books of Edmund Crispin, really fun British murder mysteries. Uh, Trust Me on This by Donald Westlake. The Dortmunder novels of Donald Westlake. Um, I will leave the, the Jack McDevitt novels for you. Um, mm-hmm. And The Seven Torments of Amy and Craig by a playwright friend of mine named Don Zalitas. It's a young adult novel that just came out. And it is one of the, the few books that was just totally vividly in my head. And I actually wrote him and said, please, if you get this sold to TV, I want to write it. Sounds good. So I mentioned Barriar, the my my take on the Vorkosigan novels. Um, the only other one that I had in my backups was The Peripheral by William mm-hmm. Gibson, because I like the idea. Look, Counterpart is one of my favorite TV shows now. And The Peripheral has got a similar premise where there's sort of a parallel universe that is split off of the t- and it's set back in time, but it's sort of split off by the uh, by the observation of it. But they communicate. So you've got a kind of future post-apocalyptic uh, timeline uh, but kind of a tidy one. It's the apocalypse has been over for so long now that the survivors have plenty of room to spread out, basically. And then there's a a kind of like near future uh, as the apocalypse is just getting started, uh, kind of parallel universe. And there there's conversations back and forth, and there's some virtual reality. And I think you I think there's something that could be done with that premise in terms of having kind of two time frames that are interacting with each other and telling sort of the end and the beginning of the same story. Uh, that could be an interesting tv show um i didn't love the book i liked it but um but i think it i think there's something there i think there might be a tv show there and that's it we have come up with lots of great ideas so i hope the executives in hollywood are listening and writing things down and buying books and Mm -hmm. if not maybe you have been inspired to buy some books uh that would make a great tv series and you cast it in your own head and uh, play it all out in your own mind and then hope that one day it will also be on your tv screen your uh streaming service of choice uh we uh yeah great list great list i've spent a lot of money in the kindle store (laughs) as we've been recording you're not Uh, alone let me thank my uh, panelists one last time before we say goodbye lisa schmeiser thank you thank you i'm off to go reread some stuff now. excellent monty ashley thanks (laughs) eventually tv will free us all of the tyranny of having to read books books are the paper menace that threatens our children it's uh you know they must be stopped (laughs) moises tuyan thank you enjoy catching up on 24 years of magic the gathering i didn't buy those (laughs) Alyssa, (laughs) Alyssa frankie thank you Thank you for being kind to me today. <laughs> you did it. You nailed it. You killed it. It's it's all good. It's all good. Uh, Kathy Campbell, thank you. Thank you, Jason. Dan Morin, author of uh, books that we didn't draft. Thank you. Uh, please, someone option my books. Buy <laughs> <laughs> agenda. Check it out. <laughs> Rent in Boston is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> David Jillor, thank you. Thank you. On the next shelf, I've got Mrs. Sherlock Holmes, a nonfiction mm, book. Oh, boy. oh anyway. Uh, I'll stop. <laughs> and thanks to everybody out there for listening to our podcast, which is now done. I've been your host, Jason Snell. We will be back next week with something else that probably won't be as weird as this. And thank you, finally, <laughs> to Lister Ian, who came up with this idea. Good job, Lister Ian. What a Yay! great idea. We stole it and made an yes. episode about it. Anyway, we'll be back next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.